Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks very much for downloading this. There's no question but the lazy, hazy days of summer have gone and we're facing yet another winter with all the issues that raises for farmers. Today we're going to be looking at cattle nutrition through the winter months and specifically targeted nutrition for different age groups. I'm joined today by Robert Gilchrist, a project advisor with the KTIF-funded Aberdeen and Northern Marts Farmers Journal Scotland Farm Profit Programme. Robert used to work in the industry development team at QMS and as a beef nutrition specialist for Scotland with Keenan. His main focus now is to work with farmers to get the best from their businesses. Alan Smith is a farmer, working in partnership with his father and brother on their family farm in Murrayshire. Alan's been responsible for the livestock enterprise for around 20 years. Recently, he's been trialling outwintering livestock on kale and stubble turnips. I'm going to start with you, Robert. Just explain the idea behind targeted nutrition. So what we're looking at is if we split the animals up into each group that they are, when I start working on rations for a farm, the first thing I'll do is look at what are the groups of cattle we have. So, you know, do we have dry cows? Do we have cows with calves at foot? Do we have grown cattle, finishing cattle? And then build the rations around targeting each group for what they're looking to do. You know, we're looking for dry cows just to tick along through winter. We're looking for fat cattle to move at a good rate and for growing cattle to move at a more modest rate. So it's about building the ration around what we're looking for from the cattle. And Alan, how does that gel with what you do on the farm? We're working in various kind of groups. We've got uh, growing heifers, uh, which we're targeting to uh, go out to, to bull the following summer. So we want them to kind of just grow at a moderate kind of pace. And then, like uh, Robert said, we have you know the fat bulls, which we want to be away by the following May. And then also the cows outside on kale. And we just want to bring them through to calving in the right condition. And Robert, what's the role of the nutritionist in helping farmers? The basics of cattle nutrition are actually not that difficult. It's just a few simple calculations to, to figure it out. But it's more about having the knowledge to know that, you know, putting a lot of barley into dry cows will make them go fat and give you no end of calving problems. Knowing where to target the silages, you know, if you've got different types of silage, where to target them, whether it's a, a, a stemmy, dry silage that's not got a lot of energy in it, which would be great for dry cows versus real rocket fuel early season stuff that's much better for growing and fattening cattle. You know, again, going back to that piece, we start off with what type of animals do we have on the farm? How many of them do we have? And then we look at what feeds we actually have on the farm. So, you know, realistically, in most cases, you're going to start off with a pit or a pile of silage bales. And we're going to start with, in a lot of cases, in most of the area of Scotland that I work in is barley on farm as well. So you start from those points. There's no sense in a guy sitting with a shed full of barley as Alan is and saying him the best thing you could do is go and buy a beef blend. You know, so it's about taking what the farmer has and the animals they have and then building the diets around getting the best from what's on farm at the time. Alan, just about every farmer in my experience has got a feel for, you know, what their animals are doing, how well they're doing and things like that, you know, and they've, they've got a sense. It's not entirely scientific in my experience, but where did you pick up your knowledge? You know, how, how, how did you learn what actually worked with your beasts? 
I suppose every year we're just looking to improve and try not make the same mistakes as the previous years if we've made any. Daily inspections, you get a feel for kind of what's going on kind of health-wise. You're always uh, farming with your ears, you're listening to hear what's going on for coughing. And, uh, and even just regular weighing allows you to monitor the weights to see that they're actually growing and responding to the ration that you're, you're feeding them. Let me chuck in a listener question here. This, the question goes, with having a small herd, how do you treat different age groups separately without making so much work for yourself? You know, what you might describe as the faff factor. Robert, do you want to deal with that first? I suppose at the end of the day, you've got to, that's the other part about building diets. You know, you can build a diet tailored to every single individual beast on the farm because at the end of the day, every individual is different. But um, I think Alan would very quickly tell you exactly where to go if you come up with that idea. So what you've got to try and do is build, again, working within the parameters of what you have on farm and figuring out what you can do. You know, if you are working with, with a mixer wagon, do you build it so as that you can have like a growing diet sitting in the wagon that you dispatch half of that and then come out and add more barley to make it up to a finishing ration? And that way, you're not working two loads, you're working a load and a wee bit. Or do you work that you have a growing ration and then fat cattle, you then put more barley on top? along the front of the feed, you know, and it's about trying to, to simplify things down because somebody with 20 cows has got a, a lot more work to do per animal than somebody with 100 cows. Another thing that um, I like to do every year is um, when we get the cows weaned is to, to, to group them up. And um, I always like to have a, a group which may require kind of more targeted nutrition throughout the winter. And I, I call them my young, thin and old. So I'll put all them together so they're easy to kind of pull together if, if need be. If they're outside and the weather changes, I can possibly bring them in if, if uh, housing's available. And again, this is anecdotal, I suppose, but you know, the, the, my neighbours say that there's probably going to be a shortage of silage this year. How do you deal with shortages, Robert? I suppose the first thing, Mark, is you make a plan. The best time to start sorting for it is now rather than getting until March and going, ooh, we're a bit short. So go out, measure the silage pit, count the bales and take an estimation as to how much feed you have on farm, how much you're going to need per day. There's calculators out there that are available to figure out a feed budget or indeed speak to somebody who knows how to pull the feed budget together. And actually budget, you know, as I said earlier, what, what you've got, how many animals you've got, what they're going to feed and then how much of that feeds there. And then we can start looking at, well, can you leave cows out on grass a bit longer? Could you put cows on to straw diets? You know, a, a ammonia straw or straw and syrup. I mean, one of the guys in the Farm Profit Programme, he put a dose of cows onto a straw diet. And because their dung was so dry, between the straw they ate and the straw they were bedded on, he was actually using less straw as his cows that were on a straw and silage diet. It's because of the fact that with a strawyer diet, you you slow up the passage of the feed, which means that their dung's not so loose, which means they're not needed bedding quite so much. Um, Alan, a great one to pull Alan in here on is draft. Alan's a, well, he, he, he was up to a couple of years back a, a draft addict, I think almost. Um, but <laughs> perhaps you want to speak to Alan on the draft side of things. Our system earlier this decade would, would have been heavily built around about feeding cows uh, distillery byproducts. Uh, we would have bought in up to 1,400 tonnes of draft a year and uh, fed that to, to all grades of stock, young stock, pre-calving, post-calving, 
um, with a little bit of silage and then straw and also pot ale. But the kind of the rise of the, the digesters, as we call it, uh, a lot of that that kind of um, feedstock now ends up to go towards them. So it's its availability is unpredictable and it's certainly a lot more expensive than it used to be. Are you facing any specific shortages this year? At the moment, it's not looking too bad. I would say because this is our first year growing kale, we've grown perhaps more than required. So uh, as it stands and with the, the finer kind of weather that we're getting up here in, in Murrayshire, we're not looking too bad. Robert talks about, you know, really you should plan ahead. How far are you planning ahead? When do you start planning? Like I said, now you're already looking forward, you know, forward to next year and thinking, like, like I said, what, what can we do different? Um, so certainly for us, our, our kale crop was planted in uh, in mid-May. So at that point, we were stopping to think about, you know, how many cows we'll keep out and uh, what, what period of time we want to graze them for. I would say we were always trying to build a bit of resilience into our system. So um, we're always just looking at the cow type and cow size. And we're also looking to maybe calve a bit later and closer to grass, just so we can shorten the winter from the 200 days, maybe to 180. There is a point on cow type that Alan is transitioning his herd more to a, a, an animal suited to being outwintered. Outwintering doesn't suit all cow types and also doesn't suit all land types. So... It's not a great panacea for all of Scotland. However, there's a lot of places where it could be used a lot more and, and make a big difference. You know, I mentioned grass cattle and, and young stock that's going back to grass. If they're going back out to grass, we don't need to overfeed them. We want to be feeding them a, a decent level of protein in the diet to try and grow their frame. But we don't want to be overfeeding starch because starch starts to encourage fat deposition. And... When a young animal, young small animal like that grows fat and then goes back to grass and its growth is effectively checked as it turns over to grass, that fat turns into gristle. And I'm not aware of many consumer surveys saying that gristle is a good thing. Whereas if it's a store that's going on to for sale or going on to finishing, you know, we can push a bit more energy into them and push them on, but still keep the protein level up. And then I suppose finally with finishers, what we're looking at is Depending on the genetics, some some finishing cattle could well go fat off a store ration just because of the type of the genetics they are. Some of, some of Alan's more native types would certainly maybe go that way, whereas some of his more continental types probably need quite a high-powered diet with a bit of starch to push them on and get them fat. Each different diet targets a different stage in the animal's life. And it's not just about putting together the right diet for the animal but it's also putting together the right diet to get the animal in the right place to give us a happy consumer at the other side who actually wants to come back and buy another steak. I mentioned in the introduction to this that you know you, you are basically trialling outwintering livestock and kale and stubble turnips and things like that. Now, something like that, forage crops for sheep is well established, less so for cattle for some reason. How are you finding it? Yeah, no, it's working well. Um, yeah, again, it's it's like... It's not something new. I went to a monitor farm, one of the farm profit program uh, farms, and a guy there was was growing kale on the heat of a hill through it foggy, um, about you know thirty five miles from me. And I thought, well, he's having great success. So there's no reason why we can't repeat that success in, on our farm. So yeah, this year we put in thirty two acres of uh, Maris Kestrel kale, and um, yeah, so far so good. What are the options when it comes to forage crops for cattle, Robert? Uh, across the board, Mark, um, kale's great because it is that bit more winter hardy. 
It's damn near indestructible. <laughs> you do lose a bit of leaf, which does lose a bit of the feed value once it does get into the real depths of winter. But yeah, kale kale's fantastic. And it's the other thing with kale is it can be a wee bit of a softer crop. You know, it's not just quite uh, it needs a bit of TLC in the early stages. Whereas the likes of the, the the rapes and the hybrids, you know, they're a bit more bulletproof. You can get away with a bit of a shorter growing season and you can treat them a wee bit harder. But at the same time, you don't get the same yield. So, you know, there's a balance there. The other one that uh, certainly has been on the go for a long time in Aberdeenshire especially would be the good old neep. Cattle behind a wire on neeps. Neeps are fantastic because you've got that bulb and even if you get the depths of frosts, that bulb is still available. You know, it doesn't doesn't go to bits like the leaves do. So there's there's that. And then the resurgence, I suppose, from I don't know how many years back would be beet. Father beet seems to be making a massive resurgence in in Scotland at the moment. And I, I see it as a great feed for uh, outwintering cattle and, and sheep. Alan and I have talked around beet, but he, th- he feels that uh, the kale is a better fit for the system. How does it affect the digestion? You know, if you put them onto beet or turnips or kale? The first thing I would certainly make sure that I wouldn't be uh, going 100% forage crop on cattle. Cattle need to be a, a kind of a minimum 70-30 of uh, forage crop to to a long fibre source, be that silage or straw. Also transition, more especially with the beet than with the with the, with the rape and the kale and, and neeps. You know, they, they do need a bit longer to transition across. Effectively, no matter what diet change you make, it does take about three weeks for a rumen to turn over. What you're actually feeding is not a cow. You're feeding this fermentation vessel that is the rumen. And in the breakdown of the feeds in the rumen of what then goes to feed the cow, and it takes about three weeks for the bacterial populations and the fungal populations in the rumen to transfer from, say, eating grass to eating kale and straw. How long did you give your beasts to transition, Alan? Yeah, um, perhaps not 21 days, but uh, yeah. The... Be honest, how long? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think maybe over the course of a week, we would have uh, worked them onto it. Um, they would have gone from grass, uh, you know, the, the tail end of the grazing season, uh, and they were receiving straw at grass, and then we would just gradually have just uh, just increased allocation of kale sort of day on day. Uh, and yeah, you know, they would certainly be up to seventy percent of their their daily uh, ration would be coming from from the kale. And if you're using silage, I mean, you're talking earlier about stemmy stuff and rocket fuel. I mean, how important is it to get a proper analysis of what you've got done? Well, at the end of the day, if you've got stemmy silage across the board and you're feeding young stock but you think you've got rocket fuel you're never going to hit the growth rates that you look for and vice versa if you've got rocket fuel but you think it's stemmy stuff and it's not going to do a lot and you're feeding dry cows you're going to have a pile of fat cows come calving and you know you can't beat a bit of fat on a cow to make calving difficulties rear the ugly head when you're changing diet how often are you changing diet with animals yeah well i suppose with the the cows, for example, um, they would kind of go on to kale towards the end of October, and uh, I'll hold them on the kale hopefully through until the start of uh, February. For us, that's six weeks kind of pre-calving, and um, they would just be require a greater level of nutrition uh, on the run through to calving. So that, that's a four to six weeks before we start calving. Then we might start them on a more of a TMR, this uh, draft, and uh, and silage and straw kind of mix. And how often, Robert, would you recommend that somebody reassesses, you know, the diet that the beasts are getting? 
I suppose, Mark, the real thing that, uh, and I was taught this in the first week that I started really working in nutrition, was the computer can churn out all sorts of fancy numbers, but really the cows will tell you what the ration's doing. That's the first place I would always look. I'd like to see what are the cows telling you. You know, you don't want to be changing ration too often, but at the same time, you've got to be making sure you're actually getting what you're looking for. With Alan with the cows on the kale, you know, he's, he's on the 70-30 allocation at the minute, but he's in among the cows every day and he's walking through them and he can see what's happening. And if he thinks conditions are going off them too quickly, perhaps he could swap out straw for silage. You know, so it's, it's about assessing the animals at every stage. What are they doing? Number one, just stand and look at the cow. Do, do, do they look happy in their skin? You know, is their coat shiny and happy or is it hard and looking, looking disheveled? Number two, are they chewing the cud? And if they are chewing the cud, how long are they chewing it for? So I'm a very sad anorak, so I'm quite happy to stand in the middle of a cattle court and watch them for a while. But it's actually well worth doing because if you stand in the cattle court and watch them, you'll find them basically bringing up that cud bolus, you know, making a sort of a, a thrusting motion and bringing up a bolus and starting to chew. And if you watch that, what you should really want to see, for a, if, you, if, a, if a ration's right, you would want to see about one chew every second for 60 seconds, then they swallow that bolus before bringing up the next one. You're kidding me. you seriously suggesting that you're standing there with a watch. Well, no, not quite as... Uh, but, you know, you, you get an idea for how many seconds. So, you know, I'll just stand there and just count one, two, three, four, and just watch watch for the length of a cud bolus or two or three cud boluses. I mean, I've, you know, you can spend up, you know, you can spend as long as you like, but I like to stand and just watch five or six animals and just see, are they chewing long enough? And are they chewing well enough? Because if they're chewing more than that, if they're chewing up 70, 80, 90, 100 chews per cud bolus, that would tell me that there's a lot of fibre that they're dealing with. And that's maybe all right for like a, you know, like a Alan's dry cows out there in the kale. They've got a lot of fibre to deal with. So I don't mind that because we're not needing them to perform. But if Alan's bulls that are on a high-powered ration were sitting tuned for 80, 90, 100 chews, that means they're getting far too much fibre in their ration, and long fibre in their ration, and having to break it down. Likewise, in the reverse of that, if they're tuned for less than that 60 chews, that tells me that they've not got enough long fibre to stimulate the gut to get them chewing. And also, cud chewing is them doing the digestion work for you. So you really want to be making sure that they are doing it. I would have to say, to me, that sounds like a pretty comprehensive answer, Alan. But I mean, you know, how, how do you assess with your own animals, you know, that the diet you're giving them is actually working? I suppose it's not a glamorous part of the job, but it's just the cow part as well. It's just, uh, I don't know if Robert touched on that there, but just just kind of looking, looking and watching the dung in the field, just if it's a bit in the runny side, then yet things are, you know, maybe going through a bit too quick. But we're, we're looking for quite a well-stocked, Cowpat, I suppose. Um, that, that's kind of one sign, anyway. Could I perhaps cut in there? Yeah. On the dung one, for growing and fattening cattle especially, I was taught a fantastic little thing to remember, and that is basically the clap, clap, clap of a contented crap. And that's the sort of noise you want to hear. If you can hear that on growing and fattening cattle, that tells you that you've got the dung consistency just right. So not only does he stand in cattle courts with his watch out, he stands in fields and times the poo at the same time. Yeah, that must be some anorak you've got. 
<laughs> I haven't got a lot of friends, to be fair. So, listen, I'm going to finish with one listener question here. Um, this is a good one. It, difficult to outwinter cattle in the wet conditions this year. Any practical tips, Alan, for a start? Yeah, well, I mean, when we are building our outwintering system, we're always trying to select fields which have, you know, a good bit of shelter, um, maybe from like a a forest or a, a hedge also a bit of slope we're very dry light sandy soil here so we don't really have too much issues on that front even sometimes just rolling a bale out just let them kind of get an opportunity to lie down for a period of the day and robert you know alan certainly had a good point on the shelter and the and the comfort there's other points in like um trying to feed off as long a fence as possible you know if you can get all the animals coming up at once to the fence line it, it means there's a lot less mess made I suppose it's now a bit of a hindsight one, but for, for years going ahead, I would always try and have bales set out ahead of myself rather than bringing bales out to the field. I remember Alan sending me a photo previously showing me that, you know, here's my cows hardly made a mark in the field. Pity about the lad and the telehandler that brought them the bale of silage. So, you know, if you can, if you can try and minimize the traffic in the field, it does help carry them a bit better. Because don't forget, every day, if you're moving the wire all the time, they're always moving forward onto fresh area. So they should always be getting away from the worst of the muck. And trying to feed in fresh areas all the time does help. Do you ever put, you know, you get this sort of matting material. I've seen it occasionally down south, not so much up here, you know, under things like ring feeders. I've never seen it up here now, Mark, I must be honest. There's a, a local dairy farmer um, bought a heap of uh, secondhand astroturf on or oh, gum tree for his his cow cow tracks out to the pasture. So I don't know if that's some, something along those lines. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Listen, Alan Smith, um, uh, Robert Gilchrist, thank you both very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. No worries. Thanks, guys. That's great. Thank you. And uh, I hope you found this useful. Next week in the run-up to St Andrew's Day, we're going to be concentrating on lamb. Uh, until then, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for downloading this. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.